America's founding fathers believed their vision, the city upon a hill, could only succeed with a special people in a special place. Over 240 years later, we the people, our American story is still unfolding. My name is Tina McCafferty. Join me every Friday as I spotlight those who embody the American values of faith, courage, and heroism. You will be uplifted, inspired, proud, and humbled to call yourself an American. American history is more than history. It's personal. My whole left leg is gone. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. Wow. That's my left. There's nothing there. Where does it end? At my butt cheek. (laughs) Episode 36, John's American Story. Welcome to another episode of We the People, Our American Story. My guest today is John Peck. John, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Amy. I really appreciate it. I am excited to hear your story and hoping that we can start at the beginning. If you can share with us a little bit about growing up, leading up to you joining the military and the reasons behind you joining the military. So I was, uh, I was raised by a single parent mom and everything. We kind of like struggled through like my childhood and she worked like two jobs and everything to put food on the table. And it back in, you know, I hate to say it like this, but back in my day kind of style, <laughs> it was like 12 years old and I would be in the apartment, in the house and basically taking care of myself. Starting off, like at that that age, I was already fending for myself. I was already, you know, cooking and cleaning and just doing everything. I come home from school and I already had like a list of chores. And I remember, you know, at one point we lived, uh, it wasn't like a, like an apartment above a food market, but it was like an apartment to the side or attached to the food market. And the guy that she was dating put us uh, in touch with the owner and we got fresh produce and everything like that. And that was great. But like, I would come home from school and it was like, here's a list of stuff to do, like just to get the place like looking nice. Cause it was really run down. And I mean, this was like when I was 15, you know, going on 16 and everything like that. So I wasn't able to get out a job or anything and just kind of like where I was in the beginning. And then, uh, I mean, I had some run-ins, not like bad run-ins with the law, but uh, I never knew my father. And I, I think I kind of like took it out on my mom because uh, when I did meet him, I went down to Texas for about, I can't really remember because my TVI, but I think I was supposed to be down there for like three months, but it turned out to only be about like three weeks. And, uh, you know, she ended up coming down and coming and getting me. And uh, it just kind of like, it was supposed to be three months, but it turned out only being three weeks. And I get this, he said, she said story. But what I was told was he was married. Um, he's still actually, he reached out to me. He's actually still married to the same woman. He has two kids. So I have half brothers and half sister. And, you know, his wife was like, you know, you need to make a decision or something like that between John or, you know, your new family. That's what I was told by my mom. Like I said, I get the he said, she said story. And we were told that we needed to leave Texas. And so my mom came down from Illinois and 
we drove back up and I kind of started acting out and I got in trouble with law. I went to juvenile delinquent center a few times. I was, that was fun. Started acting out and everything. And I just had a few run-ins with the law. I went into handcuffs a few times, had a few anger issues and uh, yeah. But once I turned 16, I, you know, I like, I decided to stop acting that way. And I just, I think at like, at one point I just had enough of it. And I got a job working at Quiznos was my first job. And then <laughs> I did the stupid 16 year old thing. I think I put a glove, a plastic glove into the oven. I don't know what I was thinking. I was a 16 year old. <laughs> I don't know. It was my was first job. Work? Oh, at work. Yeah. And they caught it on camera and they're like, John, you can't do that. I'm like, yeah. They're like, we got to let you go. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but I got a job at McDonald's right next door, literally right next door. Uh, and uh, yeah, I was working there. And then um, we ended up moving away from Rockford, Illinois, because my mom met, you know, my stepdad and we moved to Antioch, Illinois, and they didn't want me to leave McDonald's. And they're like, you know, we could promote you and everything. I'm like, I'm sorry, guys, but like, I got to leave. Like, I'm only 17 years old. Like, I got to leave. But uh, I transferred up to the Antioch McDonald's, and I ended up getting promoted to shift manager. But like, that's kind of what I did until I graduated high school. And I mean, at that point, I was kind of just, you know, working and it got to the point where I was like 18 years old and it was like, Hey, you know, like you need to do something. And, but yet you need to be home by 10 o'clock. I'm like, I'm working at McDonald's. <laughs> I'm a shift manager. And it's like, but yet you need to be home by 10 o'clock unless you're working. I'm like, I need to have a social life, but yet I'm working like seriously, like I'm, I'm going on 18, like, come on. So it got to the point where I was like, you know what? I'm done. And I moved out and I, I literally lived in my car for like a good two weeks. And uh, I got an apartment with my buddy. I was working two jobs. And I think at that point, I was like, you know what, this is, I'm not doing anything with my life. You know, I was 18. And you know, my, my generation, you know, like, we went through the whole 9-11. I think I was like 14 when 9-11 happened. And I remember that day. I was just like, my family, my mom served in the army. My uncle served in the Marines. I was like, I have a family history of it. I'm like, I can't like, I'm not going to college because I can't afford it. No one's going to help me get a loan. My mom's not going to co-sign. <laughs> my stepdad's not going to help me co-sign. I'm like, I'm not going to get a scholarship off of football because I played like one, what is it? Not one semester, but one season. One season, yeah. Yeah. And that's back in Rockford. I'm like, I'm not going to get any scholarships. I'm like, I ain't going to get a scholarship from academics. I'm like, not going to do that. <laughs> so I was like, all right, military, here I come. So did you join the military because you felt like you had no other options? I think that was the primary, but then it was like a family history kind of thing. And I mean, it's not like super like patriotic or anything like that. But it's like, I know it's like a lot of people were like, oh, 9-11 happened. I'm like, but for me, it was like 9-11 happened when I was like 14. Yeah. What do you remember about that day on 9-11? I'm curious. I talk about that a lot oh, with yeah. my guest. 
So I was actually in AutoCAD class. Like I was 14 years old and I was drawing architectural plans at 14 years old. Right now I'm on a laptop and I can, well, I can't draw it anymore because I forgot how to do AutoCAD. And plus the programs are so much more advanced, but I was literally drawing like houses and I don't know how or what, like, I don't even think like Nokia 99 cent phone that people are still trying to freaking break. Like, you know, the phone that I'm talking about with like the little chirp, like beep, beep. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even think we had those yet. Shit. I mean, shoot. <laughs> I'm old. Yep. You're in the class and how do you find out about it? Uh, so our teacher, somehow they knew that something went down. Like there must have been something on his computer and he just turned on the TV. It wasn't the TV on the stand, but he turned it on the wall and everything. And I mean, it wasn't like this big thing to me because it just, you gotta remember 14 years old. Like I was about to ask that. Yeah, you can't grasp what's going on. Yeah, it's just like the relevance I mean, maybe if I was older, maybe if I was like, still, like to me, it was just kind of like buildings went down. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, I feel bad now that like I look back to that age and everything. It's, but you it's were 14. Like, Again, yeah. you were young. It's just like, man, I can't believe that that was my attitude to those people losing their lives. Like, I just can't believe like that was my view upon like that event. And you said your mom was in the army at one point? Yeah, my mom served in the army, but she was only active for like boot camp and that was it. Oh, okay. Did you join the army? Is that what you joined? No, hell no. Hell no. <laughs> Let me guess I the Marines. No Let me guess the Marines. Yeah. Oh my yep. gosh. Yep. You Marines know, through and through. You guys all make me laugh because of course when I'm on a call with a soldier with someone from the army, they're giving grief to the Marines. <laughs> and when I'm on with the Marines, they're dogging the army. It's like a, is it an age old, I don't know, dog fight we, in a way. Every single time somebody comes up to me and says, welcome home soldier. And I'm like, I'm not I just a soldier. sit there and I stare at him. And I'm just like, do I, do I say thank you? Like, do I say, what do well, I say? I have to tell you, John, it wasn't until recently. I'm 51 years old, okay? And this is how stupid I am or naive. I did not realize until a few months ago that a soldier was a term specifically for Army. Specific towards Army. <laughs> I had if no you call I... a Marine a soldier, it is like the most offensive thing you could do. I had no clue. I thought that was for every branch of the service. No. You learn something new every day, even at 51 years old. No. <laughs> yeah, so I, I basically, I went from branch to branch because I wanted to be like fighter pilot, but unfortunately I was too tall. I was six foot one. And so I went to Air Force and they're like, you're too tall. Then I What's went to the, the Army. maximum height on that, do you know? I don't think I was too tall. So there's like this game that the recruiters do is like, oh. like they need to meet a quota. Oh, gotcha. So they need to meet like specific MOS quotas. Gotcha. And they know those quotas before guys come in. Okay. When I came in and said, I want to be a fighter pilot. No, you're too tall. 
but we have this position. They didn't expect me to walk out. They're like, uh, he just, he just walked out. Like, wait, what, what the hell? <laughs> so I basically went from branch to branch to branch until I got to the Navy and they're like, okay, cool. And I had a meeting set up with the Navy guy and he was just like, all right, come to my recruiting office at this time. And it was right next to the Marines. I showed up and the guy didn't show up and Sergeant White, my recruiter, he came out and he's like, are you waiting? And he's like, yep. He just left. It's like, why don't you come to my office and just kind of, you know, chill. I'm like, all right walked into his recruiting office and my mom was there with me and everything. And, uh, we started talking. He's like, so what do you want to do? And I'm like, I want to be a fighter pilot. He's like, Oh, really? And, uh, he's like, we don't have fighter pilots cause we don't have, you know, uh, F-15s or anything like that. But he was like, you know, we have, you know, helicopters and, or door gunners, you know, why don't you, you know, why don't you talk to me about that? So I started talking to him and I started, you know, filling out the paperwork. And then I get to the physical part and uh, I think it was like a gunnery sergeant or a master sergeant. They're like, Hey, how many pull-ups can you do? I can do 12, I think. So I bust them out real quick. You know what? What are you trying to do? I'm like, I want to be a fighter pilot. He's like, nah, you'd be good in the infantry. I'm like, infantry. I'm like, all right, sign me up for infantry. So uh, yeah, I did infantry instead. What yeah. year is this? 2005 when I signed my contract. Okay. And when yeah. did you go to basic? Uh, same year. I basically okay. went to basic. I went to boot camp. You got me saying it. I went okay. to boot camp. Boot on, camp. Uh, so that's the, a difference too. There's basic is army and boot camp is Marines. Yep. And I did not have, know that. See, you've taught yep. me something today, John. I didn't know that either. And then we don't have uh, drill sergeants. Uh, army has uh, drill sergeants. We have drill instructors. See, I had no clue. I think most Americans just kind of like, it's a blanket statement, right? No, nope, drill. terminology. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Thank you. I think the I first signed one. my contract actually on 9-11, uh, 2005. And then I think I left for boot camp 9-12. You're the first one that set me straight on that. No one has said anything about basic when I talked to Marines. So thank you for setting me straight. Now I know, and I won't make that mistake again. Oh yeah. So you go to boot camp. Yep. Where do you go? MCRD uh, in uh, San Diego. Okay. What happens after boot camp? Uh, then I get uh, School of Infantry, which is on Camp Pendleton. And okay. again, like it's in California. Okay. It's a basic School of Infantry. It's, uh, sorry, it's been like, it's been a while. It's been it like, has been a while. We're on yeah. like a 16 years, right? <laughs> um, yeah, and then traumatic brain injury. So then, yeah, it's uh, School of Infantry. I think it's like only, I think it's maybe only about eight weeks. So it's just basically like they teach you how to be infantry, but then inside of the O3, so O3 is like your infantry designator, but then you have different MOSs inside of infantry. So you have O311, which is your basic infantry. Then you have 0331, which is machine gunner. Then you have 0341, which is mortarman. Then you have 0351, which is assault gunner. And then there's like tow gunner or something like that. I, I, I always get those two confused. And what were you? I was a uh, mortarman, so 0341. 
And what does that mean exactly? So O341s are a indirect fire weapon. So like O311s and O331s, they actually see their targets. Whereas oh. O341s, we do not see our targets. Which comes up to my next point. After graduating SOI, uh, when I got attached to my battalion, 3rd Battalion 1st 3-1, we just call it 3-1. We don't do the whole 3rd Battalion 1st Mar, 1st Mar Div. We just call it 3-1. Nobody ever goes through that whole spiel. I was attached to uh, 81's platoon. They were short on what's called forward observers. So like my right hand, let's say is the mortar platoon. Mm-hmm. You have these guys, let's say my left hand, you have these guys called forward observers. They're the guys way, way, way ahead of the mortar crew. They're basically the guys who are spotting like the enemy. And they're the ones who are like, hey, uh, hey, mortars, uh, I got a guy like 250 meters ahead of me. Well, of course, they wouldn't be that close. But like, hey, I got like some guys 250 meters ahead of me. Danger close. Here's my position they basically call back and call for fire kind of thing. I have a stupid question then. Is it computerized what you do when you're that far away? How does that work? It's all done on basic, basic equipment. And so there's three different components to a mortar crew. There's the Ford Observer, which was me. And then you have the guys who are actually on the mortars. So we call them the gun monkeys. They're great guys. And then we have what's called the uh, FDC, the Fire Direction Center. They're kind of like the skinnier guys, but they're really like, they're really good at math. They're smart. They're kind of like the geeks. Okay. They're really good at like algebra and stuff. Basically, they have like this big like circle. I don't even know how to explain it. It's it's a whole bunch of math that you have to okay. Ugh, yeah, and so they have to be able to do that right on the spot. It takes about 30 seconds to figure out. Wow, Incredible. There's different equations to do it, though, and it okay. all depends upon uh, how the Ford Observer calls for fire. Where is your first appointment? Iraq, and that's Iraq. in 2007, and that's uh, Al Ambar. How old are you then? Are you 20? Let's see, I was born in uh, 1985, <laughs> so I was uh, 21. Is it scary when you come in the first time, when you no. land? Nothing scary. No, I don't think anything's like scary. I think it was more like anticipation. You gotta remember, Marines were kind of. You're a breed into onto yourself, right? Yeah, we're kind of crazy. Marine infantry, we're kind of crazy, and if you're not crazy, if if. We, we, I don't know how to put this. Like the guys that I hung out with. Yeah. The guys that I knew in my company, at least, we kind of had a tendency to weed out the weak. And if you couldn't keep up, we kicked you out. Not as in like, I don't know how to put this. And like, we knew that you couldn't make the cut. So what happens then if you can't make the cut and you're in Iraq? Well, we put you on like post or like, okay. 
not nothing like bad or something. Nothing like no, no. But you make sure uh, there's hey, somewhere. Hey, uh, battalion sergeant major, uh, Lance Corporal. Yeah, we lost him on patrol. No, but you, you put him somewhere where he doesn't get himself killed or anybody else no. killed. Is yeah, that what you're saying? Absolutely. Yeah, no, yeah. He's where he's not a danger to himself or he's not a danger to others. How many deployments did you have? I only had two. You only had two. That first one. Do you remember the first time where you felt like that adrenaline pumping or a little nervous or what did I get myself into? Uh, I remember the first time we got into a firefight. That was fun. Actually, I remember a few times. And how is your heart beating like crazy? You're not nervous then. No, I mean. How can you I not mean, be nervous? Because I mean, you got to understand, this is what we're trained to do. It's muscle memory. I know it's like, this is what I don't understand about like, not being political, but like, I don't understand why with like the police departments, how they're not getting trained to like, I'm more of like muscle memory kind of training. For us, it became so ingrained into our brain that I could diss an ass. That's not, that's not a swear word. And I don't mean like your butt. <laughs> I mean like disassemble and assemble a machine gun blindfolded. I'm not lying. I could literally do it blindfolded. Could you still do that? Oh, no. I, look, my hands are like this. <laughs> no, I can't do it. I can't even tell you how to do it anymore. But the muscle memory takes over the fear? Yes, it's just because that's how we were trained. It's because we've done it so many times. It's drills after drills after drills. And that's why I just, I don't understand. Like nowadays, it's just like, you got to remember, we get the shittiest of shit equipment. We really do our equipment. It's not new. Like some of our Kevlar and some of our sappy plates literally have bullet holes in them. Sergeant, mine still has blood on it. Is this going to be okay? You're good. Really? Okay, cool. Didn't the best military in the world have the best equipment? Again, not being political. When all those helicopters were being crashed and everything like that, no. About five years ago? Uh-uh. That was because of improper funding and because they couldn't get all the funding. You know, I actually had a, um, somebody that I spoke to, Travis Vandela. He's a double amputee. He lost um, both his legs. And he was in Iraq in 2007. And I've spoken to a lot of people. It's really weird about 2007. And his big thing was, yes, that they were not given the proper equipment. And that's why there were so many freaking injuries at that time because they just weren't protected properly. You didn't get nervous then because you didn't have the proper equipment? The only time I got nervous is when, so I was a driver for a little bit until I got tired of driving. And I asked my machine gunner because we didn't, we didn't get to use mortars because of the whole hearts and mind, collateral damage. So like when you fire a mortar, it's not just a, a little single target when you fire a mortar it leaves a 40 meter a 40 is it 40 meters i think it, it's 40 meters 
Can you explain to me what a mortar is? I am embarrassed to say I've never asked exactly what that is. What do you mean by what a mortar I mean, is? Like, is it just a shell? What is it? What does it get fired from? It's a tube. It's so okay. you've got the tube and then the tube is basically uh, propped up against a bipod and then the tube is connected by a, a base plate. So all it's got three separate pieces. So you've got the tube. Okay. And then there's a base plate right here. Sorry, uh -huh. I can't really do too much. And then there's a bipod right here. And then there's a site that is attached to the bipod. Mm -hmm. And that site is aimed on to some like what's called aiming stakes. So, like all the data, all the mathematical data that's given to you by the fire direction center. Okay, you gotta remember a lot of this stuff is just a foreign language to me. And I'm embarrassed to say after 30 some episodes, I haven't asked a lot of people to explain this stuff to me. I no. appreciate you explaining it to me. And how far out will they go? I think you have like three systems, uh, 120 mortars, you have 80s, and then you have 61 mortars. Okay. I'm not sure how far the 120s can go, but I think when I was in, I think the 80s can go 5,500 and something meters. Oh, wow. It's pretty far. That's five clicks. We call 5,000 meters, or we call 1,000 meters a click. I've never known what a click meant. I've heard it. You hear it in movies, but I never know what that's meant either. I am learning so much today from you, John. Yeah. So, like, the only time I ever got nervous, though, was, like, when... I got tired of driving, so I asked my machine gunner if I could, you know, be the machine gunner. And I was like, you know, let me pop up top. He showed me how to, like, take care of the machine gun. That's when I learned how to, like, disinass a machine gun, a 240. That's one of the machine guns. It's not one that you would carry around on a dismounted, a, a walking patrol. Dismounted means walking. And, you know, we roll up and we start taking fire. And I was in the lead vehicle. And the machine gun got jammed and my vehicle commander, he was like, get the machine. He started yelling at me, get the machine gun up. And I, you know, do the remedial action. I did it two times. And if you do it the third time, I forget the remedial action if it goes down three times, but something like, it's like this big, big procedure. I'm like, please, please don't go down. It's like, you have to take the barrel apart. You have to check like, the spate, the timing, and it's just, it's not good. And thankfully the machine, like I, I was able to get the machine gun back up and I was just like, okay. So, I mean, that was the only time that I got nervous because in a firefight, you don't want, you don't want your machine gun to go down. You would rather have your 240 up and running and not have to utilize like your M4 or your M16. And your M4 and your M16 are just your basic, like your basic rifle that you're carrying around. Does that muscle memory help you when you see something that stays with you? That's where the PTSD sometimes comes from, doesn't it? Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, you see some pretty grisly things out there. I mean, it depends on the person. Like, I think there was one time I was in the mall and two people were like following me and it was very suspicious and they kept looking at me. And it wasn't just like they were curious. 
they were like actively following me as in like I went from one store to another store and they followed me upstairs. And that's when I started to become a little suspicious. So I purposely went into a store that I know that they would not follow me. And I'm like, all right. They waited outside and I'm like, okay. I'm not, I'm not gonna play this game. So that's when I got into my phone and I played this stupid game. Like, so there's like these tips and tricks that I've been like, kind of like learning, like not learning, but kind of like, I've been like watching these videos and like, it's kind of sad. I think as a society, like women have to learn all these different like things that they have to do, especially when like they're traveling. Mm-hmm. But like, if a woman thinks that she's being followed, she's like, what is that? Oh, you're right around the corner. Like you have to like speak loudly like that just to let, like, let somebody know if you, if you think you're being followed. So I did the same thing. I'm like, Hey man. Yeah. You're downstairs. Okay. All right. Oh yeah. Your buddy's with you too. Cool. All right, man. I'll see you downstairs in a little bit. All right, cool. All right. Bye. They stopped following me. And it's just things like that. I mean, it's just like, it's more of like being aware of your surroundings, the whole like head on a swivel kind of thing, you know? Yeah. That's strange. How how long was your first appointment? I only lasted about three months. (laughs) You only lasted three months. It was a Marine expeditionary unit. So which means that like, we got on a ship and we went to Guam. We went to Singapore. We got some fun times there. That was great. I got to go play with some sea cucumbers, by the way. Uh, whatever you do, do not uh, try to jerk the sea cucumbers. They secrete a white fluid. And if you get in your eye, you will go blind. Even though they do look like a male appendage. That's bad. Do not oh, do that. Oh, gosh. You didn't know anybody that went blind, did you? No, they just remember Marines, sea cucumber. Okay. Yeah, good times. Uh, But yeah, then I, uh, then we got to Iraq and I think I like, so the whole Mew, I think was only about three months in total. When did you leave again for your second and where was that? That was Helmand Province, Afghanistan. And uh, that was, uh, so that was in 2010. Uh, and I left in April. That was after that volcano erupted in uh, Iceland, and I cannot pronounce that damn word because it's just oh, a whole yeah. bunch of I whole bunch that. of freaking yeah. They made me pronounce that word for my audiobook. That took me twenty damn takes. <laughs> That's funny. It's no, Afghanistan. It it's two thousand and ten. Is there any difference between Iraq and Afghanistan and the action that you're seeing? I think Iraq was like better. Uh, Afghanistan, I was only there for a month. Again, unfortunately. Wow. I'm telling you, we're crazy. What, okay. What day does your traumatic injury happen? Uh, May 24th, 2010. May 24th, 2010. And can you share what happened and, you know, whatever you feel comfortable sharing? I don't mind sharing everything. Oh, uh, that's all of you. None of you mind sharing. <laughs> I know. So I had, uh, I got fired from a squad leader position because uh, one of my junior Marines who just got attached to us from SOI, 
he forgot his day pack and he borrowed another one, uh, another one of our junior Marines day pack, which is just basically a fancy word for backpack okay. in the military. Uh, he attached a thermosite, which is a big no-no, which is a nice piece of equipment for a machine gun to the outside of the pack. Again, you don't ever attach a thermosite to the outside of the pack. You always put it inside. It wasn't his backpack or his day pack, so he didn't know that the strap sucked. Yeah, that's why he lost the thermosite. So it resulted in me getting fired from squad leader and, you know, kind of butthurt, kind of pissed off at the junior Marine, like, you know, what the hell? Like, meh, I let it go. Anyway, so uh, we needed a uh, minesweeper. I know, again, going back to the Marines are kind of crazy, but I signed up for it. Mmm, minesweeper. Yeah. Uh, so I was up front sweeping for mines. And on this day, I, uh, we had a patrol and our dismounted patrol, no mounted or anything like that. So we were walking around and we had cleared basically like a small village. And then there was this one particular compound all by itself. No kids, nobody was around this. We had to get clearance and it was very suspicious because when there's nobody around this compound, it's like this bad, bad news. So we got clearance. Um, we knocked, nobody answered. I cleared up to the gate. The gate was made out of metal. And as I went in, I cleared, everything looked good. Um, guys would follow me, not, you know, too close, you know, about 10 meters or ish, maybe further back. Um, I cleared up to their doors and just so you know, it's not like here in America, we don't, they don't have hallways. They have to go in and out of like outside to get to their bathroom or not to their bathroom, but to get to like, in order to get to their like sleeping area, to their kitchen, they have to go outside. The rooms are not connected by hallways. Oh, wow. Individual okay. rooms. So I would clear up to those rooms, but each room had a metal door. As I cleared up to those rooms, those guys would go inside. Everything was fine. And everything was great, you know. And one of the guys had found, or two of the, you know, two of the guys had found a battery and some wires, which, you know, here in America, you might say, like, that's not a big deal. But to over there, it's kind of like, again, no kids, nobody around, batteries, wires. What are they doing? What are you doing? Why aren't there any kids around? Bad, bad news. So I went like into their three foot tall storage unit. Again, you gotta remember, like I'm six foot, six foot one, and I'm in their like three foot tall clay storage unit, just sweeping, making sure everything looks good. They like to hide stuff in their bathroom area, thinking that Americans are like too clean and proper. And so like I went in there and everything's fine. I was just like, all right, cool. Like I got poop on my boots now. I'm like, that's great. I was just like, all right, cool. I just clean it off, you know, as I'm walking back through the desert. Um, everything's fine. And I went back in the courtyard and I was gonna go tell my sergeant I was gonna hold security. And next thing I know, like that's what I was gonna tell him. Next thing I know, I'm being flung through the air and I like I don't mind saying this, but like, I literally feel like my foot came and like popped off and just went boop, 
like popped me right into the head. It's like, damn it, John. Like you found another IED. That was like my second, like, oh yeah, like you gotta remember, I was, I was blown up in Iraq. You were? So you didn't like, say that. Huh? You were blown up first in Iraq? Yeah, I was blown up in Iraq too, by the way. So that was my, I, in Iraq, I lost, uh, in Iraq, I was blown up. I lost um, 21 years of my memory and I lost uh, long-term, short-term memory loss. I couldn't remember my name, my date of birth, my social security number. I forgot I was married. It took about two years to uh, go through therapy and everything. I still have vocabulary recall issues. Why did they send you back for another deployment? I had to fight tooth and nail and I actually, I needed, I actually re-enlisted. Why? Uh, es loco? Because you're a Marine and Marines are crazy? Yes. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I would think that first time, yeah, you failed to mention that you got blown up in Iraq too. Yes. yes. But that you came home with all your lambs, but unfortunately your brain was a little tossed. Just a little bit. <laughs> Here's the great news is like that first injury resulted in like, I also had balance problems from the first injury, but I, now I don't have balance problems because now I don't have to worry about balance problems because I don't have legs. <laughs> okay. So well, it's a trade-off. So, you, so you're in Iraq. No, I'm in Afghanistan now. Oh, Afghanistan, excuse me. Afghanistan. Sorry. Your foot hit you in the head as it's coming yeah. off. I, uh, I immediately lost um, three of my limbs. So I, I, I lost my right leg. I don't know where I lost each thing. But I immediately lost three limbs. I lost my right leg, my left leg. I know that they had to do a transfemoral IV, which is really bad. If they have to do a transfemoral, transfemoral, I believe is the word, not transfemur, whatever, whatever. Basically, the IV goes into the bone marrow. If they have to do that, it's kind of like very low chances of you surviving. And which arm uh, was gone? And then my right arm was uh, amputated just above the elbow. And then my left arm was still there, but it had what's called a degloving incident. So the skin was like flopping around in the, in the wind. Do you remember anything after that? Yeah, so I remember like, I thought I was like saying like, I don't want to die in this hellhole. I don't want to die in this hellhole. I thought I was like saying that in my head, but apparently I was like telling my guys that. Then I made one of my guys like check my manhood. So I made them check my oil. You're not the first one. That is so funny that you're worried it's about It's very dying. important. As a man, you must check me and make sure. Oh uh -huh. my gosh. That cracks me up that at that point that you're worried. Hey, is it still there? No, John, you don't have it. All right, let me bleed out. Just, <laughs> just let me go. That is I'm done. funny because you're not the first uh, person that has then, said that. Are you in pain? I think at that point you're kind of like, you're, you're, your shit's fried. Yeah. You're kind of like, you're out of it. Uh, I do remember that I tried standing. Oh, yeah. I told one of my guys, like, take off the tourniquets. <laughs> so they slapped me and they told me to shut up. Oh, my gosh.
I was like, they're too tight. And they're like, shut up. Are you freaking out though? No, I don't think so. Nobody told me I was freaking out. Because you're so out of it? Yeah. I, yeah, I was, I was there, but not, not like cog. I was like in and out. But yeah, I do remember feeling the rotor wash. I do remember that clearly. What does that I, mean? Rotor wash is so like, you remember, have you ever seen like old, not old, but like Vietnam videos? So, you know, when like the helicopter starts to land and you see where like the blades of glass, grass start to like get pushed back and where like rocks start to like, like debris starts to go away from the helicopter, that's called rotor wash. Okay. It's basically stuff being kicked away from the helicopter. Okay. So the sand was starting to get pushed away from the helicopter that was landing. I, I was put on the helicopter and uh, yeah, um, I looked back and tried telling my guys I'm going to be back in a few weeks and little to my knowledge, I, uh, I, I caught a flesh eating fungus, ate my whole left leg and ate my first layer of my abdominal muscle and uh, ate my, um, one of my heads of my bicep. Did you know at the time that three of your appendages were gone? Did no. You, you didn't understand that? No, I just knew that I tried standing on them. <laughs> gosh i can't even imagine i just wanted to stand and what is the next thing you remember are you put into a coma immediately the last thing i know is like i i looked at the medic on the helicopter and i didn't really i couldn't see because i had so much soot and dirt in my eyes and uh yeah i just uh that was it i got so much morphine i was like out of it and I was medically sedated for about like two and a half, three months. I flatlined, I died. Yeah, I was dead a few times. That was, that was great. Do you remember anything about being in your coma? Yeah, my uncle Toby. So my uncle Toby was uh, like my father. My uncle Toby died two days before my Afghan deployment and I didn't get to go and see him. He wasn't a bad guy and I never saw this side of him. But apparently he was addicted, like he, he was when I was younger. He was addicted to drugs and alcohol, but like I didn't, never saw that side of him. He found God and everything, and he, he cleaned up his life for his kids, which is great. And then he died two days before my Afghan deployment because he had a fentanyl overdose, but he, it was prescribed. Okay. He had uh, the patches. So I don't know why he had the patches and I don't know why he was prescribed fentanyl patches. I never asked or anything like it, but he died from an overdose on them. And I uh, actually, I think when I died, I actually saw my uncle Toby and everything. So yeah, that was a quite unique experience. <laughs> when you wake up, do you understand where you are? Do you understand what has happened? Oh no, I was so like, high on so many drugs like i was on i'm on methadone which is the same drug that they use to get people off of meth right i'm on dilaudid i'm on freaking what's the other m1 morphine i i i'm on so many drugs that it's just i can't speak because i have a a, a trach so freaking high i don't even know where the hell i am Ugh, that sounds miserable. That sounds uh, so miserable. And then the flesh eating fungus made everything worse because the minute, like, and also, so when I woke up, I could not move. 
because like nobody stretched me, nobody touched me. My skin became so hypersensitive uh, that just a light pat to my skin made everything worse. Not to discredit the other four other quads that have been injured by the war, but like, again, not to discredit them, but like I'm the only one that had a flesh eating fungus. <laughs> but you like, wanna one up them all, right? Well, first off, I'm the only one with the hip disarticulation. You know, these, like, I hate to swear. I mean, I don't hate to swear, but, like, I get this shit all the time. Why aren't you walking, Mr. Peck? And it's like, um, I'm the only one who has a hip disartic. What does that mean, a hip disartic? John, you crack me up. What am I looking at? There's nothing there. <gasps> wow. My Look whole left that. leg is gone. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. Wow. That's something else. That's my left. There's nothing there. Where does it end? At my butt cheek. <laughs> you have no leg, nothing at all. Nothing. Wow. So not to one-up the other four, but you've gone through more than they have, right? No, like, it's just, <laughs> the one thing that bothers me is, like, there's, there's guys that like to think that there's this competition out there. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so I spent, well, I spent about two years at Walter Reed. When did you get married? I was married at Walter Reed again. I've been married three times, once for each wonderful event in my life. Guess what? I, I don't hold that against you because guess how many times I've been married? I'm right there with you. But this third one, I've been married for 25 years. So I think it's going to stick. So I was married for Iraq. But then because of my injury, I forgot who she was. So we got divorced. Then I got remarried. And then I got injured. And uh, the injury really didn't send me down a downward spiral. But uh, she said some wonderful things. She was sexting next to my hospital bed as I was literally dying. And then she said, like I said, she said some wonderful things to me that kind of sent me down a downward spiral. So I was just like, you know what? Like, I'm done. I'm not going to deal with this. I came up with a plan to like actually commit suicide. Oh. Yeah, it kind of sent me down a downward spiral. I was going to actually, uh, I found a door where I could just push, like I had the push bar. I was going to push it open and uh, throw myself down the fly stairs. And if that didn't kill me, like the 350 pound wheelchair. Again, every single quad had somebody there to help them. Whereas I was kind of left with nobody. Was, was your mom there? No, it was just another situation. Oh, that's so sad. I've seen money change people. You were Since in the hospital healing them pretty much on your own with not yeah. a with no support. No, I, I handle a lot of shit, but it's, it's heartbreaking. Fine. It's just, no, it's fine. It's actually who I, I, I think it like strengthens my resolve. Yeah, but it's still sad. I can still feel sad about the situation, can't I? Oh, no, no, I appreciate it. And actually, <laughs> okay. I think it made me the person that I am today, though, because it gets better. I did become suicidal, and it's all right. I got, I, I got over it. I swallowed my demons for a little bit, and I don't ever recommend swallowing your demons. It's not a good way to deal with it. You mean it's instead of talking to someone about it? 
I don't like talking to people. Well, then I, I really appreciate you talking to me today. <laughs> well, not like that. Not like, I don't okay. like talking to a psychiatrist. Right, okay. I eventually dealt with my demons. I know that you have to deal with them eventually. You can't just sit there and just be like, I'm never going to deal with them. I don't feel like that's an adequate way to deal with them. I started to work out. I started to get stronger and I started to get more mobile. And I started to become the person that I am today. And yeah, yeah, I got out of Walter Reed. That took about two years, 2012. When, I'm curious, John, when did you realize the gravity of your situation? When did you understand that your limbs weren't there? And what was your reaction? I think, I think it was like early on. I think like once the meds started to, like they started weaning me off the meds. I think my mom was, when she was still there, I think she told me and everything like that. It wasn't like, eh. <laughs> I mean, there's not much you can really do. Like, yeah, but no one would have blamed you if you would have been. Because <laughs> I well, certainly you, would have. What are you going to do? I mean, you can sit there and you can bitch and cry and sh like be sad. But I mean, it's not like, I mean, there's days where still to the day, it sucks. Like, trust yeah. me, even as I get older, it's kind of like, man, I really wish like, there's this one question that like reporters ask me. It's like, do you wish you would have not like, or could you go back and like change like your reenlistment? And I think as I get older, there are times where I'm like, would I have changed it? And it's not because I regret reenlisting. It's because I regret the time that I've wasted mm. or the things that I've missed out on. I miss doing like certain things that I could have been doing. I used to like love working out <laughs> or I used to like love uh, working on cars and stuff like that. Or like, I know like I used to have like a two door sports car kind of thing. That's yeah. things that I used to love to be able to do. Even with the arm transplant, I just don't have enough strength or dexterity to be able to do that kind of stuff. When did you lose the second arm? When you woke up, was it already gone as well? Yeah, they had to amputate it because of there was an arterial stint that failed. Okay. So when I got to Walter Reed, my pinky was already blue, so they immediately had to amputate. Okay. Can you tell me about the double arm transplant? I think that's interesting. So like in 2014, I had received a, well, like, you know, when I left Walter Reed, I had already received a house like 2014, I was in Virginia and I was like, I wanted to, like, I was looking up a guy in Spain. I was actually trying to see how he was doing. Uh, there was a guy that had received a double leg transplant. And I was like, you know, if I had legs, you know, it'd be a little bit easier, blah, blah, blah. Just because like, you know, walking around is a little bit easier to do things. And so I typed in double leg transplant. And funny, it came up, but Boston Brigham and Women's Hospital came up and I'm like, they're looking for leg transplant recipients. So it was funny, it came up and I immediately started like blowing up their email and everything. Hey, you know, my name's this, blah, blah, here's my story, here's my injuries. I had a flesh eating fungus, is this gonna bother it? And they're like, hey, it's, uh, I'm sorry, it wasn't 2014, it was 2013. It was November, 2013. They're like, it's, you know, it's near the holidays. Can you wait until, you know, January? We can have you come up for Boston for a week of testing. I'm like, absolutely. 
So I came up for a week, they did all this extensive testing. Somehow I passed the freaking crazy psychological test. They said I'm sane, which I don't understand how I'm sane. I passed an IQ test, which somehow I have above average intelligence. Well, come on. That one surprised me. You can't be dumb to be a Marine, right? We're known as the crayon eaters in the window liquor branch. We are literally known as the crayon eating branch. I thought you would say that would probably be the army. No, we are really known as the crayon eater branch. Well, you're the first one to go in. You got to be a little (laughs) out there, right? Oh, yeah. But yeah, I passed all their tests and they were just like, um, so you make a great candidate. I mean, you need you to do some dental work. You can't have any like outstanding issues. So they just wanted me to go see a dentist to make sure like I didn't have any like poor uh, mouth hygiene. And I hadn't been to a dentist in like a, over a year. So they just wanted me to go get like a checkup. No cavities, nothing like that. No like weird shit in my mouth. What else? Oh, they needed another like blood test. That was it. So in August of 2014, I got listed for the arm transplant. I just literally just sat there and I twiddled my thumbs. You didn't have any thumbs. Yeah. I got twiddled (laughs) my arms. Okay. (laughs) Kind of like this, except this arm wasn't here. So like that. Okay. Okay. But the only thing was, is like, my insurance wouldn't cover like the costs. So like the hospital was going to donate the cost of the actual surgery, but I had to raise money for like the travel costs. I did the mathematical equation and like, this is where like my Marine brain kicked into gear. I had to like basically come up with like, I think like I planned out like $400,000 for like the next five to six years. Holy moly. That's not a small sum of money. Well, you got you to gotta remember, though, it's like, so for the first year at post-transplant, after I received the arms, I would have to stay up to Boston, in Boston for three to six months. It turned out to be almost six months. And that's got to be a last-minute thing, right? And when someone passes away, they've got to get it to you right away. So you have to be ready to go. Almost eight hours. I had almost eight hours to get up to Boston. Wow. And then for the first year every three months I have to go up to Boston for a week. And then after that year's up for the next five to six years, semi-annual. And then once those five to six years are up, it's annual visits. I'm coming up to my fifth year and now I'll switch to once, once I go up to Boston in August, my next appointments in August, once this appointment in August, I'll switch to annual visits. How long is the surgery and how surreal is it to wake up and you have arms that aren't your arms? It took, I think, 16, 18 hours with uh, 20 doctors. They were on a multi, multi-disciplinary team. <laughs> Disciplinarian, right? Yeah, different, yeah. different areas. Yeah. And so like, I can't really do it because of like how I'm like how I'm sitting, but like, just imagine me laying down in a hospital bed. My arms were propped up on pillows. So they were like this. I look up and I'm like, I can't move anything. And it's like, uh, I have arms. I 
Told you I could do it. <laughs> yeah. How long does it take for you to start feeling them? And I saw on your Facebook page, I think it was, or no, you don't have a Facebook page, do you? It was somewhere I saw that the pain was so severe at one point, I guess, when the nerves are connecting that you were about ready to say, just take them. Uh, so like, I can't remember the first question, but they had nerve I blockers. I love nerve shoulders. blockers. Yeah. So they had one in each shoulder, but my body actually started to push out the nerve blockers. So that's what was happening. So th that was the first night after surgery. That was literally like, I was just like over the pain already. But I was like, there's no way I'm going to go through all this surgery and be like, no, I can't do this shit. How long was uh, the pain that intense? Uh, it was intense for quite a while. Ugh, how do you get through that? Every second must have just seemed excruciatingly long you gotta remember though like i'm just grateful to be alive i know All that shit that could have literally killed me like yeah even last year my appendix ruptured and it ruptured on a friday and i didn't end up going to the er until like tuesday how did you not I die right <laughs> doctors are like you should be dead you have a lowered immune system wait no you don't have a lowered you have no immune system how the hell are you alive? I have the typical marine body. My <laughs> body can adapt. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't have infection that just spread everywhere and killed you. No, so my body walled off all of the, um, all the stuff from the, um, that thingy. How long did it take you to figure out how to use these new arms? Uh, so in the morning when I wake up and my brain hasn't like connected or woken up all the way, so like if I'm sleeping on my side, I have to actually think about how to move everything. Like it's not like you guys where it's just like, okay, I'm going to stick up my pinky mirror. It's like, wait, how do I stink up my pinky? Oh yeah. And I, I can't just stick up my pinky like you guys. Like I can't just, eh. yeah, I can't just stick up one finger. I can stick up my thumb and do that. Can you fit prosthetics on your legs then or no because you of yeah so you can't walk? Nope. Hence me getting the why aren't you walking? Why are you in a wheelchair, Mr. Yeah. Peck? And I know that you enjoy cooking, right? Yeah. Are you able to do that? How much can you do with these hands? So I can't hold a knife. I mean I can hold a knife, but I can't really like I could chop like mushrooms. I mean, that's pretty good, but I also use like a rocker knife, which is good. But like, yeah, I mean, I actually do a lot of cooking. Uh, so I have a guy that comes every uh, Monday, Wednesday and Friday. So it just takes like a little bit of prep work. But like last night, actually, it's like literally like Friday night. Uh, the other night I got chicken out and I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm gonna do with this chicken. <laughs> But uh, I went to my refrigerator. I'm like, oh, I, I have, what do I do with it? Oh, I have peppers. I still have spinach. Oh, there's a month old uh, spaghetti sauce. That works. Oh, there's barbecue sauce. I was like, oh, that's good. Add some tang to it. I'm going to put this all together and see how it tastes. I'm like, how is this good? This is good. <laughs> <laughs> No, but that's that. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, last night I got um, 
Italian sausage and I had the casing removed. I know like a lot of people have probably been gaining weight from the coronavirus. Well, not anymore because now, you know, hot girl summer or whatever, hashtag hot girl summer or whatnot. <laughs> I've actually been losing weight. I've actually lost, uh, what am I at now? I've actually lost, I think, 35 pounds since December. That's not now, good. Huh? That's not good, is it? Since December? You look thin. No. No? No, this is good. This is good okay. for me. Okay. Uh, it's healthy. Yeah. We're talking like the most I've lost in three weeks is probably like three pounds. Okay. It's All slow. right. Okay. It's not like, holy shit, you lost 10 pounds. Uh, but now I'm like starting to work out. So like a lot of protein. Do you have to have any special adaptations to drive or are you agile enough to do that? No, my van is crazy. Like I wish somebody, like I wish the people that were honking at me, like on the George Washington Bridge when I go into like, I'm, I'm starting school. Oh, you are? Uh, yeah, so I don't know. P.S. Don't mind what your body see. It's a little bit of a mess, but like That's I was okay. going to use my phone to talk to you today, but like I have a tripod for my phone. Uh-huh. So I built a mining rig. That's the lamp. Okay. That's the lights. You see all those glowy things right there? Yes. That is six graphics cards. And you see that black thing? Yes. Hold on, let me see if I can put my thumb right above it. Oops. Right where my thumb is, right there? Yeah. That is a mining rig for Ethereum. She's like, what? What exactly? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty stupid, John. Uh, for cryptocurrency. I built a computer. I still don't understand that. And my husband is a whiz at finances. And even he's like, if the cryptocurrency thing is, I don't understand that whatsoever. I'm, uh, I'm going back to school for financial management and stocks. And uh, I'm going to try to go for um, debt consolidator and financial coach. Hopefully open up my own firm. So if uh, Prime America, Edward Jones is listening, don't worry, I'll be coming and kicking in your door one day and saying, yo, my name's John Peck. I lost my arms and legs. I don't know how to freaking quit. Give me a job. So you have an audio book? What do you have out? It's a book, but then they had me, they made me do the, the speaker. So sometimes they hire voice actors for right. the audio book, but they're like, hey, it, we think it would be better if you were the voice actor for your own audiobook. I'm like, okay. What's the book called? Um, That's bad, John. You're not being a good salesperson right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait, hold on. So uh, the book is called Rebuilding Sergeant Pack. You have That's a website for that. Do you know that? That's how I got a hold of you. What? And and it said, contact us, and I contacted, and they gave me your email. Oh, then you went through uh, my co-writer. Well, John, I want to ask you, what does America mean to you? Ah, it's a question I don't think I've ever had. You've never had that question, what America means to you? No, I don't think I've ever, I, I, you know, like, I'm not going to be like that person. It's like, I've had so many interviews, like, I'm so cool. But like, I don't think I've actually had that question. Oh, good. I'm the first one to ask. 
like for real, but for real though, like I don't think I've ever actually had that question. Um, man, like usually I'm never like caught off guard because like there's usually like these questions are not repetitive, but like there's I really don't have to put too much yeah thought. I have to make you think. It helps your TBI, right? No, it's not even that. It's just there's like. The one thing, like, I, you know, like, even through the traumatic brain injury, I was telling one guy this is like, I know 9 11 sucked, but you know, the one thing I remember is like 9 12. And I know, like, there's this famous, like, not famous, but like, there's this one thing that was it like 9 11 sucked, but I, like, I absolutely loved 9 12. And there was mm -hmm. this one image that I remember, and I think we all remember that when we were around that time was there was a firefighter and then there was a black guy in a suit, but we didn't know we, and we didn't care because all we saw was a firefighter and a businessman. And you can tell because they're both covered in ash. Mm -hmm. And America to me is just like, we need to get back to like the point where like, we start to care for like each other and like the human beings around us. I think at this point in day and age, like I think we're so like, like self-absorbed and everything. I think that's where some of our problems are starting to like come from. I don't know. It's like, it's, it's kind of, this question's kind of like throwing me for a loop. You got me throw, you, you like, you actually got me thinking about this one. That's good. A well formulated question. <laughs> Man, I can't really say America's land of land of the free, home of the brave. I think I feel like that's a little cheesy. But it's true. I mean, even right now, though, it, it it's really not though. Because how free are you really, though? If you really think about that, how free are you really? In what regard? I mean, are you really free to say what you want? Right now you get ripped apart for what you say. I feel like in today's society, you're kind of censored. Yeah. You go and you post something on YouTube, you're censored. Yeah. In school districts, even my friend back from Illinois, she posted something today and she was like, her school is making their children wear all solid colors no patterns, nothing. And that's for boys and girls. So I don't know if that's because some little girl was wearing like a tank top and a little boy was like getting distracted, which I don't agree with. The little boy needs to be taught on how to be respectful. <laughs> be respectful. Thank you. Or I don't know if some little boy or some little girl had American flag pattern on their clothing and somebody found that offensive, which Ugh. again, bullshit. See, that's like, why I think it's important that we're doing this, John, because we can't lose that. And that's why I wanted to do this because it's a crazy time right now. And I really feel that your stories are so important and we need to stand up for this country. That's why I'm like saying like, how free are we really? Like I used to have a certain political figure stick around the back of my wheelchair back when I lived in Bethesda, Maryland, because I fear no person. I literally fear no person. 
You've been blown up twice. Not even about that. I fear no person. I fear no color skin. I, I, I fear no one. The only thing I fear is time because yeah. I know my time will come. I don't even fear my own death. I've accepted my mortality, which is if you start thinking about your mortality, it gives every person anxiety. I've accepted yeah. mine. I know it sucks, but I've accepted mine because I know I've lived a very fruitful life. I know I've lived a very fruitful life, so I'm good with it. But I had to take it down because I would start to pay attention to the people around me. And I'm like, hmm, am I shortening my time by having this target on my back? I'm like, that's completely insane. Okay, I'm conservative, but like, I have a tendency to see both sides. I don't care. Somebody can come and scream at me all they want. It's fine. But like, I'm conservative and like, one of my friends is libertarian and we'll get in, like, we, it's not debates, but it's like, it's conversations. And we absolutely love these conversations. Me too. She's like Ragnar, she, but she'll say either Ragnar or she'll say John. She actually knows my name. She's like, John, I absolutely love these conversations. She's like, I find these so not like, so appealing because you and I are both respectful to each other. And I'm like, absolutely. Like, this is what we're missing in America. We like, need to hear each other, right? We need to listen yeah, to each other. That's what like, I feel like we need, like, we need to like come together. Like, that's what we're missing. We need to like get off these like computers and like stop with, stop getting on these computers and stop getting on these smartphones and stop being so damn comfortable putting these like your arrogant POS or, you know, whatever bash words you want to put on there. I have one simple rule. If I'm going to get in a conversation with you about finances or environmentalism or activism or political debates, I have one simple rule. Whatever I say to you on the screen, I would gladly say to you over a cup of coffee. I would say to you to your face. I may say what you just said is stupid, but I'm not calling you stupid. Yeah. And some people have a hard time with that. And they're like, are you calling me stupid? I'm like, no, I said, what you just said is stupid. <laughs> There's a difference. I'm not calling you stupid. What you just said is stupid. I say stupid things. I say a lot of stupid things. I can see you doing that, John. In the short time we've been together, I find you to be very honest. It's refreshing. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, I don't want to take up all your time, but I, I really like that question is going to have me going for quite a while. But like, I don't know, like America to me, like, feels like, I don't know, it's like, we're like this melting pot of different cultures and different beliefs and everything. It's just, yeah. I yeah. feel like we're starting to kind of like lose our way. I agree. We need to find it, right? And I just, I feel like we're kind of starting to lose our way. And I'm, well, just, I'm kind of worried about it. Well, I think that's why those of us who love this country, even though they're with all our warts and everything that's going on right now, we just need to keep speaking up in a respectful way, but we can speak up. What is that one? It's not even really a meme, but it's like four separate pictures, but it's like four, like small, like little pictures. Hold on. It's like four small pictures and it's got like great times create Oh, yes. I know exactly what you're talking. It's true. We've gotten so comfortable and we're so safe here that it's just freaking easy to forget about it. And it's easy to criticize and easy not to understand what we have here. And that's the point that we're 
at right now, I think. Yeah, and I think at some point, I think in probably in the next, I hate to say that, but within this next administration, especially with what's going on in Iran, with him attacking constantly, unfortunately, and I really wish he would kind of backpedal a little bit yeah. because Iran is not somebody I want. I know that they need to be dealt with, but they're not somebody that needs to be pissed off. Not that I fear them, but they do. Yeah. They're not yeah. a bee that you want to be going poking. John, I appreciate your time so much. This has been I'm sorry amazing. you went over an hour. Are you kidding? I can I could sit here and talk with you all day. You are a fascinating person and I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. What an outstanding way to end season two. I had such a great time with John. I did not even feel like I was doing a podcast episode. I felt like I was having a conversation with a friend. He was funny, candid, and I loved his honesty. John, thank you again so much. And I hope you all enjoyed listening to our conversation as much as I enjoyed having a conversation with John. Please do me a solid. If you believe the stories that I am sharing are important and that more people need to hear these stories, please share with family and friends. Subscribe, leave a rating. It helps out more than you'll ever know. I will be back in one month with season three. In the meantime, check out my new website, wethepeopleouramericanstory.com and go back and listen to missed episodes. There are more exciting things on the horizon and I cannot wait to share these great stories with you. See you in a month.